Welcome to the Payroll Podcast, the show that explores the latest insights and innovations in the world of payroll. I'm Nick Day, founder of JGA Recruitment, a specialist global payroll search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized Reward 300 member. And my goal for this show is clear, is to bring you expert guests and payroll leaders who are driving this industry forward. From cutting edge technologies and trends to compliance, analytics, automation, leadership strategies, and more, we're gonna cover it all on this show to help you to deliver accurate and timely payrolls across your organizations. So let's join together in raising the strategic profile of payroll worldwide. Grab your coffee or your favorite beverage and let's get started. edition of Payroll Question Time. I have to say, my name is Nick Bay. I'm the founder of JGA Recruitment Group. I'm the host of the Payroll Podcast. I'm a member of Award 300 and I've been in this industry for 20 wonderful years. Uh, I love hosting the show, but enough about me. Let me introduce you to the rest of my wonderful panel, starting as the, as I look at it from my left to my right, Lou Gray. My name's Lou Gray. I'm uh, an associate director at Evelyn Partners, um, run a payroll bureau team based in Guildford, um, and I do live in Northern Ireland. And I'm also very proud to say that I'm a, a board director of the Chartered Institute of Payroll Professionals. Fantastic. And moving across, Simon Parsons. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Simon Parsons, Director of Compliance Strategies at SD Works. I've been in the industry uh, probably a little bit longer than Nick. Uh, I think I joined Centrefile, as it were, in 1984. Uh, and I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Payroll Professionals, have the MSc in Payroll Management through the CIPP University of Westminster, as it was then. Uh, I'm also part of the Reward 300, um, and it's great to be with you today. Super. That, uh, that centrefold comment reminded me of the Accrington Stanley advert with milk. People are going, centrefold, who are they? Exactly. <laughs> if you know, you know. Okay, going further along to uh, Andy Nicol, our resident pensions payroll expert, Andy. Hi, everyone. Yes, I obviously worked for Regulator about 10 years now. Prior to that, was all uh, working in the payroll industry across lots of different organisations, including the software, um, and here to help with pensions today. Fantastic and last but not least Sam Johnson. Hi Nick, uh, yeah I'm Sam Johnson, um, I'm Payroll Services Director at Danes Accountants. Previously worked for the CIPP as a policy lead there and, and before that I've done a, a range of roles in both private public sector and in bureau as well so very much a payroll through and through. Right on to today's discussion topics then lots to get through. Today we're going to be talking about P11D and P11B deadlines What's the future of tax, a four-day working week, EU rulings affecting an, an impact on holiday pay, the importance of accurate payroll guidance, uh, a pensions update if we have time, of course, with Andy as well. I have two questions ready to ask you all already, which is fantastic. So while I get those questions prepared, we're going to run our first poll. Uh, that's getting everyone here, 107 of you right now, involved if we can. Uh, the question is, we'll have a little attempt check. How was the previous tax year? Uh, three options here for you, all fine so far and good this year. Uh, second, a few niggles, but more confident now. Or lastly, far too stressful. Fingers crossed this time. So while we're waiting for those results to come in, I'm going to ask our panel our first question, which was the one that popped into my inbox just before we broadcast today's show. It comes in from Evelyn that says, can you please advise the best way or how to calculate holiday entitlement for zero hours? 
We have just taken on a new company and the hours are random and very irregular each week. What is the calculation to ascertain their entitlement? Also, there seems to be no history. They have not exercised due diligence in keeping records. Um, Simon, perhaps I can come to you with the first question of the day. Uh, if you can help Evelyn there, that would be fantastic. Yeah, sure. I think there are two halves really to the question. So you've mentioned entitlement. The entitlement to for zero hours workers is 5.6 weeks paid holiday leave per annum. Uh, it's the same as if they weren't a zero hours worker. So uh, that's one aspect. And then there's an element of how do you calculate that entitlement under regulation uh, 15, 14, 15, 16, around there of the working time regulations for the first year of employment they get one twelfth of the entitlement each calendar month. And from the second year of employment, they get 5.6 weeks. Now, if they leave, uh, they get a proration based on uh, dividing 5.6 weeks by 365 days and multiplying the days from the beginning of the year until the date they leave. That's all days. So the fact they're on a zero hours worker doesn't actually vary the entitlement. It's 5.6 weeks. Then it moves into the position of what's the pay? The pay for zero hours workers is the 52 week earnings average going back up to 104 weeks. Any zero weeks where they actually were not paid at all are required to be excluded. So it's a fairly um, complex calculation for many to do, but it's not based on how much they've worked, it's based on how much they earned. And in weeks they earn nothing, you actually exclude it. So 5.6 weeks entitlement, no matter how long they work for, an actual work time, and uh, average earnings of 52 weeks. Fantastic, so what about the second part of the question in relation to if there's no history, does that matter or has that been covered? Uh, well, yes, <laughs> the employer is potentially in breach of the Employment Rights Act and equally there are requirements under national minimum wage law to maintain hours worked. There are proposals under the EU um, leaving Brexit to get rid of the requirement for working hours for the working time regulations which are in consultation or about to be but uh, under national minimum wage law you are meant to keep the worked hours. Uh, so I guess if you're saying you haven't got the payroll earnings because earnings is the thing that matters and when they commence the employment, there's a little bit of a problem. But I'd say start the 52 week average now. And if you've only got one week of earnings, that's the average. One week of earnings. Super, thank you for that, Simon. And Samantha, perhaps I can come to you if you're able to help me with this question. Uh, are there any additional monthly FPS reporting requirements where an employee is paid and taxed under an Appendix 5 agreement? An Appendix 5 agreement. I'll, I'll be honest, I've, it's not one that I've come across before. I might have to, to defer this to somebody else, unless it's just a, a different term for something that I'm, I'm not familiar with in Appendix 5. Anybody else in the panel familiar that could tackle that question? Yeah, if not, we'll I can help out, Nick, if you want. Um, so do. Appendix 5 is an offset of foreign tax liability. There is no special reporting on the FPS apart from you uh, report the uh, full taxable pay and the uh, tax applied. And the tax applied would be the UK tax liability minus the foreign tax. You don't actually report the foreign tax amount. 
you just uh, report the difference between the UK liability and the foreign tax. Uh, some solutions will have automated capability within it, for example, SD Works do, um, but some won't. And so uh, maybe a little bit uh, troublesome to deal with, but the FPS reporting is fairly straightforward. Taxable gross is taxable gross. The tax is the to be reported is the tax paid uh, or due minus the foreign tax actually applied. You offset it and it's the difference. Uh, and that's the same with the year to date value as well. Super, super. Well, I kept the poll open for a bit longer than usual because we had, still had new attendees coming in. So welcome for those that are just joining us now. 113 of you. Let's see what these poll results look like. And I'll ask my panel to comment on these. So how was the previous tax year for you? 59% um, for those listening on audio only, all fine and so far good this, this year. 35% said a few niggles, but more confident now. And 6% said far too stressful. Fingers crossed at this time. Uh, Lou, if I can come to you, how, how, how are these results uh, what you'd expected or, or a little bit different? Well, I'm, I think maybe I'm a wee bit jealous that everything was fine <laughs> and some far so good. I mean, I'm really, really impressed and I'm very happy for you, she said very sarcastically. Um, so, I mean, those are, that's amazing for me. If you want to know about me personally, um, it was a stressful time this year because we had IT issues um, and glitches leading up to getting the software that we needed to go live in April. So um, we started on the back foot a bit um, and trying to get that resolved. And obviously, sometimes then the niggles then continue into the month of April because you're still recovering from what happened in March. So for everything to be all fine and so far so good, if you would like anybody, I don't mind joining any new teams because that sounds fabulous. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm hoping, I'm going to make the assumption that maybe many of the people have attended these previous PQTs and we've helped them prepare them so they can get through it there smoothly. However, if you are one of those 6% where you say it's really has been stressful. Um, if you have any questions or any challenges you'd like to share with us, we can bring them uh, to the panel. Please do put it in the questions box or, or let us know your comments as to why you found it so difficult. Uh, it'd be really good to understand where those challenges sat so maybe we can address them or maybe even help you for next time round. But some interesting results coming in there. Uh, let's jump back to the slides. I've actually got another question that's popped in as well. So I'm going to come to you, Andy, with this question so we can ask it in real time. I hope I'll come to the right individual here. It says, hi all. If an employee is on unpaid personal leave, but they're in our salary sacrifice pension scheme, do we as the employer have to top up their pension as, as we would if they were on maternity leave? The unpaid leave, did you say? I just want to double check. So am yes, I the employee unpaid personal leave, but they're in our salary sacrifice pension. <clears throat> well, it, you need to see what the scheme rules are, but the scheme, if the scheme rules are saying the employer contribution is which is what the salary sacrifice value is, it's an employer contribution, is payable, then it's payable. But obviously, if they're on unpaid leave, there's no earnings to calculate. So what is the pensionable pay being paid in that period? Do you see what I mean? So, so if there's no pensionable pay because they're on unpaid leave, then the employer contribution is, say, 8% minimum. 8% of nothing is nothing. So <clears throat> there's no no payment to be made but but is a valid point you know in terms of if we just expand it a bit further and say you know where salary sacrifice exists um such as like on maternity leave um then the employer will be paying on on the pay that would have been payable so 
when SMP is just being paid, the individual might pay just on SMP, their actual normal contributions, but if the salary sacrifice, then the employer will be paying the full contribution, the employee salary sacrifice plus the normal employer contribution based on the pay the person would have had had they not been on return to leave. So some, in some situations, yes, there is an employer contribution and it could be a lot more because the salary sacrifice is an employer contribution. I don't, hopefully that answers it, but please uh, ask another follow-up question if that doesn't, or if anyone else has got any other thoughts, I may have missed a point or something. Well, so, well I'm, ju I'm just thinking, Andy, um, for zero pay maternity leave, there is no requirement for pension contributions. The Social Security law applies to periods of paid maternity leave. So, um, I don't know if there's a, a misunderstanding that you have to maintain all contributions through maternity leave. It's not true. You have to maintain those contributions through paid maternity leave on the basis of full pay. When they go into an unpaid period, there is no requirement to contribute. Unless the scheme rules require it. So if the scheme, the scheme rules require it, yes. but during the maternity pay period of 39 weeks, up to 39 weeks of SMP, yeah, the, um, then the employer needs to pay based on the pay the person would have had had they not been on return to leave. Which goes back to that very first question, perhaps, if you're on zero contracts, what is that pay? Well, you need to work out what it would be an appropriate average pay for that those people on zero, average, zero hours contracts, which could be utilising the same as the holiday pay calculation, maybe utilising the same as the average pay you used to calculate higher rate SMP, or some other reasonable method. It's not defined in legislation. Well, hopefully that's helped. If it hasn't quite covered your question, Paula, please do back into the uh, the question box and we'll ask another question or try and clarify for you. Uh, who's the best person today to ask questions regarding a mileage rate question? Uh, Samantha, Simon or Lou? Give it a go. Simon, you. Here we go. And we're going to jump into this PNWD subject in just a moment. But last question before we do. My question is related to mileage rates for business travel. An employee is a manager who covers a specific area, but contractually it is described as home office based. When he, she travels to visit one of the multiple stores the employee looks after, what should be considered commute to work and what should be considered business travel? Business travel should be considered only when the travel is between two different business places, or it can be counted from the employee's home address when they are traveling to a not usual workplace. Well, the, the critical wording there is the latter, which is the not usual. So if you always go to the same uh, place on a Monday and the same place on a Tuesday and the same place on a Wednesday. They could all be different. If you're going to the same place on a regular pattern, that becomes regular commuting. But if it isn't and it's more random, then anything as soon as you leave your house is business travel. Is uh, the view. Uh, Lou may have some thoughts there as well. I don't know, Lou, if that's an area you cover on P11D, but I think the, the regularity is the yeah. issue so if you always go yeah. to the office on a certain day go on Luke. yes that's my understanding simon is the, is the question purely around the sort of tax position because i think often that's that's something that's confused ultimately the employer can make a payment for whatever they want to but it's whether or not that payment is tax free is where those those rules and regulations start coming in and i think sometimes people assume that you have to pay the mileage but you don't but there is an option to get them tax-free if you fall within the, the eligibility criteria. Cool. Well, we've got three uh, P11D questions that have come in, I think, with our headline of our next topic in front of them. So I will get to those in just a moment. Thank you ever so much for 
the guests who are putting those uh, questions in the in the box. We'll get to those as soon as we can. But P11D and P11B deadlines. We've had a quick temperature check there where Lou was very happy to see 59% of you going through a seamless uh, end of year process. But how was the tax year end for our wonderful panel I see in front of me today? And what are the things that our, 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 our attendees today need to remember? Uh, perhaps I'll start with yourself, Lou. And thinking ahead, I think, I mean, the P11Ds, obviously, but then it's ERSs. There's the deadline for the ERSs, which is key. And I think very often that can be forgotten. Well, I feel it can with some of um, my experiences. Um, clients can put stocks and shares through the payroll and then not remember to complete an ERS that also has the same deadline in July as the P11Ds. And it is very important um, to be able to pick that up and make sure if it applies that that, that form has to be completed. Um, working obviously where I work, payroll and these sort of P11Ds and the ERS submissions are very separate. So we work in alignment with the tax team who's able to help and support. How was your year end? There was sort of computer challenges, but everything else uh, as smooth as it could be? Everything. I mean, the, the problem is if um, software doesn't work, it sort of does knock everything off in the planning, you know, because um, year end, if you have 450 plus clients, you're wanting to run everything smoothly before you even go into the April pay run. And unfortunately, that that didn't happen. We ended up um, looking at some bits and pieces of work. So when software and processes let you down, it's about taking a step back and planning how you'll fix it, how you'll get it changed and how you'll make sure that your clients are still happy and confident. And that can sometimes have a knock on effect on motivating a team and motivating yourself because it does it does clearly impact if you have plans as a payroll professional, you need to plan your work and have a, you know, a timetable of what needs to be done. And it's important to stick to that. Sure. Mind you, I guess when you have these challenges, it's what, what's how we learn from them and how we get to come the leadership role that we have on this panel, right? You learn from, from, from the difficulties. <laughs> how about the rest of our panel? Any uh, P11D or end of year tax uh, stories you'd like to share or, or, or support our listeners today with things that might be useful for them as they continue to go through the process or even for next year? I'm happy to pick up a little bit with uh, Lou's comment as well about employment related securities because in, increasingly we see that. Uh, the withholding tax related to them is handled by a third party away from the payroll without true sight of real tax and real national insurance contributions. And quite often the view is those calculations are forced as the tax and NI calculation as an expectation, but they're not. They're just the withholding amount. So the tax and NI liability is something completely different. And I think a lot forget that, that actually it's just a withholding guess. It's not the real amount of tax and NI due. And quite often we see that actually the amounts calculated external are required as the reporting result. They're not, and the reporting may be wrong. So it's just remembering that. And just moving into P11D, we got the February shock announcement that no paper P11Ds are permitted this year for the 2022-23 tax year. And already we're aware that HMRC have been sending back boxes of paper to those who've submitted them to them 
and saying they're rejected. So you have a 6th of July deadline to get your P11Ds in electronically and uh, deal with your Class 1A liability reporting on your P11DB. I did mine back in March from personally um, because I didn't have any uh, and things like that. But uh, get the adjustments for your payroll benefits on your P11DB form because they're not payroll Class 1A. Class 1A is P11DB, even if you've payrolled. And equally, with uh, sometimes we're worrying. I've seen a lot of requests in for the PSA reporting requirement, but actually the PSA deadline is not until the 22nd of October. So you do actually have much more time. But I imagine you've got this cycle of um, end of year activity. Uh, we think it's all done, didn't we, on the 5th of April, but it's not. We're all still busy uh, dealing with the, the sweep up. And I'm sure with employment related securities, I don't know how Lou's finding it, but when they're dealing with foreign uh, groups and things like that, the information comes through very late. Well, that's an interesting uh, question popping. I don't know the answer to this because you're the expert payroll panel, but Ashley Dorman, who we know and love very well, has said, isn't it a P11D brackets B, not a P11B? It's a P11D brackets B, or uh, actually sometimes it's not portrayed with the brackets, just called a P11D B. But yes, it depends where you look. That's where the Class 1A return is put on. And that's an employer return. Well, if, so if I cover that a little bit as well, quite often we find people trying to calculate individual level Class 1A. That applies to termination and sporting testimonials doesn't apply to P11D and the employer because it's the accumulation of benefits for the employer PAY scheme with the 13.8 or the blended rate as it was for last year. Remember, it's not 13.8 for the current Class 1A. It's actually a blended rate, 14.53 uh, from memory, that uh, is applied. Uh, and then you pay that as an employer as a lump. I'm loving the uh, attention to detail. This is what we get in the world of payroll, right? So good old Ashley there, trying to, trying to catch you out, Simon, which I love. Okay, so we've got a couple of P11D questions. Um, very simple one, I think, to begin with in terms of, uh, of getting some engagement from our panel here is, are more people moving to payrolling benefits or are P11Ds still key? I think from, from my point of view, what I'm say, seeing is there's still, there's still a bit of a nervousness that particularly surrounds this dual tax um, in the same year and my understanding when you look at HMRC's website is that shouldn't be the case I'm, I'm almost certain I've seen that in black and white now that they've said that it shouldn't be the case that you get taxed twice um, but there is definitely definitely a nervousness of, around it I wonder if this digitalization of the P11D will will make a difference but I suspect for most larger companies now they're already digital so it, it might not. Um, you know, how HMRC ultimately drive that agenda is it, it, it's going to be a difficult one because it does seem like there is, is a slow uptake on that. And then from my point of view with clients, we would have new businesses starting up after April and they want to payroll benefits straight away. So they don't understand why they have to wait for the following year to register yeah. to payroll the benefits. And it can take um, many hours of conversations to get them to understand the reason why that that's what happens in the UK. But I mean, it's definitely a frustration that they don't understand if they start a payroll up 
on the 1st of June? Why can't they payroll benefits from the 1st of June? Why do they have to wait? Why can it not be a slicker process? Um, and why can it not be easier? So maybe with the improvements with automation and technology, maybe that will progress sooner rather than later. I mean, especially as we're, we are being impacted in payroll uh, because of the HMRC strikes and not being able to reach people on a telephone line or a chat line, not getting the responses. There's definitely a slowdown as we set up payrolls and getting communications from HMRC, which again, whenever you're dealing with clients in any business, is going to cause frustrations. See Simon nodding along to your response there, Leo. Any, any added comments you, Simon, if you go jump into the next question? Well, yeah, well, it's even worse at the moment, isn't it? Because they're all on strike. Yeah. So, uh, so you won't get through to anybody because they're not there. Um, yes, I, I could come out with a certain politician's sort of words a few months back about uh, if they go on strike, where they're going to pick it outside their house. Um, but maybe that's unfair. Uh, and or, or it's the only time they go into the office. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've got a strike situation on at the moment. So it, there are some uh, challenges there. But payrolling. Uh, we get a popular spout of people going into payrolling each. Um, uh, actually, a lot of them come very late. In fact, many mm -hmm. come to us after the application <laughs> deadline. So you're actually too late. So they then put it off another year and then they come back to us again after the next year's application <laughs> deadline. And I think you know, you'll recognize that, won't you, Lou? I think there's yeah. an amateur. Your application deadline is the 5th of April. You need to prepare months before. So the preparation for payrolling is around October, November. But ideally, if you're leaving it a little bit late, January, February. But if you're going March and April, you're probably too late. Uh, so remember that. The other aspect of payrolling is it's not the same as P11D. The timing is different. The tax in the end may be the similar or the same, but the timing is different. And uh, there's a number that take on company car reporting in the new year and they can't get it right. So the FPS files are rejected because they haven't done the right benefit amounts. The challenge is P11D is in arrears looking back. So you're looking back at what you used to, what, you've, what has happened in the year. With payrolling, you're looking forward so you've got to predict what the values will be until the end of the year and change them if circumstance change. So it is a different world. Uh, some may have the view that payrolling is um, cheaper. Not sure that's always the case because the work is different and there's still work to be done. Yeah. So, well, let's, uh, let's pick up. We've got a lot of questions still popping in. But we're going to ask uh, Dave, if you can move us to the next slide because that will give people uh, an indication of what we're talking about next. They can get their questions prepared. So we make sure we're trying to keep the things moving along. We'll get to this quest these questions in this section in a moment. Still got four or five questions to get through there if we can. I'm gonna come back to you, Simon, because I'm keeping it with the with business mileage. Uh, and the question coming in is this uh, comes in from Paul. So I'm just uh, gonna scroll back up to the beginning of the question. Um, hi, we have inherited an employee who has a fully expensed business fuel card and his own car. He has not provided a business or personal mileage split. Um, how do we enter this on his uh, P11D? Um, do I need to submit a P11D for an employee that received benefits in 22-23 but left? Oh, sorry, that's another that's moved on. It's my screen changing. Apologies. Yeah. Do we need to enter that on the P11D? Uh, yes, and it goes in a little bit like a company credit card spend. 
So it's not a mileage benefit, but it's a spend benefit by the employer. So you'd put it under um, uh, credit cards. Can't remember which section that is. Is it section, I'm going to say from memory because it's come in section F, but I might be wrong. Um, so there is a section on there. You declare the amount of spend on the fuel. The individual can uh, claim an offset for their business mileage. So they need to keep a record and on their self-assessment return, put how many miles they've done if they're not reporting the business miles to you. Uh, if, you if they're reported to you, you could actually deal with uh, offsetting some of that expense against the fuel card. But uh, for example, if they've done 10,000 miles, uh, make it easy, uh, they can put their business expense for using their own vehicle for business mileage as four and a half thousand pounds. And that would offset probably an element of the spend on the card, because I imagine the spend for that sort of mileage would only be about three thousand. Depends on the size of the car. All right. Of course, over 10,000 miles, you're, they're only entitled to have a reclaim of 25 pence per mile. So, uh, yes, it's definitely a reportable P11D uh, benefit in kind or a payroll item if you want to payroll it of uh, based on the spend, the actual spend on the card. Fantastic. And I come to you, Samantha, if it's OK. Do I need to submit a P11D for an employee that received benefits in 2022-23 but left before that tax year? Or do I just write to HMRC with the details of the benefits provided? No, P P11D would still need to be submitted um, for any levers. Um, yeah, so that's the way I would approach it. Super, fantastic. Um, what is the next question comes from Magda? What is usual practice for part-time employees? And I'll go back to you here, um, Simon, just because it's related to cars and randomly you okay. become my car expert for today. Uh, what is usual practice for part-time employees with car allowances? Should we pro rata or pay as the same for full-time? Well, that's down to the employer. So any car allowance scheme is up to the employer to set the rules. So there is no statutory rule or anything. Uh, it's uh, whatever you as an employer decide you want to do. It would seem sensible probably to pro rata it, but uh, you don't have to. You, you, can, you can give them a million pounds a year car allowance if you really want to. So there's no minimum and there's no maximum. I think there's an element of the employer has the uh, position of deciding what's equitable and fair. Uh, there are some other considerations, which I guess uh, part-time worker regulations and things like that. Uh, but uh, but it's same with pay. You give a proration of full pay, wouldn't you? You wouldn't give all pay. So uh, you treat it as a half time or, or a, you know, a half head. So I think you would probably do the same as the car, but I'm just into opinion area now, Nick, rather than anything required by law. Okay, sure. And last question on the PWD process yeah. or, or not sure what it is, but benefits in relation for the moment. Uh, maybe Lou, if, if, if you feel um, okay to answer this question. If a benefit was only paid after the 6th of November, 2022, does the blended class 1A rate still apply? Simon's nodding, so I don't care if I'm sure, don't mind. Simon can answer the question there. Yeah, because the, the class 1A liability is at the 5th of April. And at the 5th of April, the blended rate 14.53.
applies. So it doesn't matter when the benefit provision is, it's a question of when the liability is. And at the moment, class 1A isn't real time. So with sporting testimonials and terminations, it was the secondary NI liability at the point of payment. So you would have had the higher rate or the 13.8. But with benefits, it's assessed at year end and at year end, it's 14.53, no matter when the benefit was provided. Okay, fantastic. And well, I've got you, um, so I'm a bit of a clarification point on your previous point. Can an employee then have a company car as well as a car allowance? The car allowance is, uh, of course, subject to tax and national insurance. And the car would be subject to uh, company car tax. But okay, why would they? It's not, they, it's usually instead of, isn't it? Again, that's yeah, down yeah. to employer practice. Now, I don't know who's going to ask this question to, but I feel like I'm compelled to have to ask it. I can't be the only person. Andy's, got a, Andy's got a point, Nick, I think. And okay. Only from my own experience with payroll, that was that, you know, if, if you allowed people to have a company car as a part-timer, you can't take the car back for two days that they don't work. So should you pay the full car allowance then to the, part, the same part-timer? So it's, it's, and it is just down to what the business thinks is is the right thing to do really but that's maybe where the person's coming from yeah now i think i heard it as well but the question comes in is did i just hear a puppy and if so can the panel member please hold them up high and admit to who has a dog in the background <laughs> my, my my dear wife is taking taking her out <laughs> the guilty party <laughs> he was coming out to say can you can you play i think <laughs> i think we can't meet which is a shame. Okay, super. Um, I'm just going. We are going to get into the future of tax. I'm, I'm conscious of time. We want to speed through, but these questions are wonderful. Please, please keep sending them in. We want to make sure we answer all of your questions. Bit of a clarification then coming back in from Paul in relation to the earlier question, um, where we, we wanted to make sure we'd answered it. So I'll just read it as it goes. Thank you. I was wondering if, for example, the total was nine percent, i.e., five percent employee and four percent employer, would we have to contribute the value of the full nine percent of a normal basic pay? As I understood from your response, depending on our rules, we would deduct the 5% of the salary paid, which would be lower due to the unpaid leave. So would we need to top up the employer value so the contribution is 9% of full basic pay? That makes sense? Only for unpaid leave, e.g. dependency. leave. You have to repeat that question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, sure. I was, so, well, and there's an element here, Nick, is the protection is a maternity protection parental leave not an unpaid leave protection yeah uh, is what i suggest but andy will say subject to employer scheme rules but legally social security law doesn't require any contribution if you're not paid uh yeah but if you're a maternity leave you have protections uh because it becomes a discriminatory element in relation to maternity uh, parental leave uh, paternity etc any thoughts there, Randy? Do you get the gist of the question? Uh, well, I went to mute, uh, yeah, I went to mute somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Unpaid leave um, is down to basically you just got to look and see what the scheme, the pension scheme rules say about that. Because um, like DC scheme versus the defined benefit scheme may have different things. But normally, if it's unpaid, it's unpaid. There's no pensionable pay. There's no contribution due. Um, and as I say, maternity leave, etc. That's a, that is the Equalities Act and maternity and paternity regulation, etc. Regulations 1999, I think. Um, so um, that that is quite discreet. But 
from a payroll perspective, if you've got someone going on unpaid leave, you just need to check the scheme rules. But otherwise, it's just going to be what is the pensionable pay being processed? What are the contribution rates? There's no pensionable pay in the contribution, therefore, is nil. Yeah, that would be the norm. Super, fantastic. Right, well, let's jump into the future of tax. We have got there in the end, which is fantastic. Um, so let's uh, jump in. We're going to talk about the digital transformation, uh, digital system from end to end, question mark, tax automation, question mark, where we fit in and how to keep ahead. So uh, let me come back to you, Simon, um, give us a bit of an overview here and let's, um, let's bring this to life. Yeah, sure. So there is a consultation on the future of tax. It's currently opened. I think it opened around the 22nd of March, so around the time of um, the budgets sort of area, that sort of thing following that. And it closes on the 7th of June, so not too long, about two weeks today is that. Um, it will close and it covers two aspects which um, potentially impact payrolling or payrollers. The other aspects are for other things like VAT, uh, corporation tax, etc. But the two elements that really come under PAYE is development of promoting use of HMRC digital services. So the intention is to push things more down a digital means, uh, not letters. Uh, quite often I hear people say, oh, we've got this, I'll write a letter to HMRC. I think sometimes I think, you do realize there's no one there opening or reading them really, or not very quickly. Uh, it's better to do it by digital if you can. But, uh, and equally, the big thing that's been in the story these past couple of months, nothing to do with payroll really, is about repayment agents. So there's uh, been a sort of a big thing about the fact that repayment agents are taking 40 to 50% of repayments due to employees because of business expenses or marriage allowances and things like that, when the taxpayer can actually do this themselves and get 100% of any tax refund due. Plus, we've got the removal of assignments, uh, which meant that uh, if you agree to an assignment to repayment agent, that repayment agent would get your tax refunds forever into the future and you could only end it if they agreed so you couldn't arbitrarily but that's all changed they've in effect been outlawed but under PAYE there's also uh, a question being asked by uh, HMRC and that's in relation to can we do better than the tax code regime we have now and what are the pain points and the pain points generally about starters, leavers, change of circumstances, uh, changing of bands. And so there's an opportunity to consult uh, with HMRC, put in your ideas, um, an idea that's come from uh, myself with the CIPP actually and their, their task force panel as well is why don't we have a new electronic means of informing starters so that you get a code, you put in the code, you get your right to work confirmation, your tax code, your national insurance, all confirmed to the employer of what you need to do. And you don't have to wait for a P45. You know, are all these old forms out of date? Who gets a P45 on time? I don't know if, um, you know, Sam and Lou have got comments there uh, and whether they've been involved in that, but there are elements of, uh, there is an opportunity to consult on the future of tax. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. 
Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. It's really important um, that people have been given the opportunity to have the consultation and to be part of it and to be involved so that we are having um, a say on what the future looks like. Um, as Simon has said, getting a P45 from new employees can be very difficult. Um, also, if I look at the fact that we run payrolls for foreign businesses, there can be a lack of understanding on what's needed and the timeliness of what's needed. And sometimes, um, dare I say, some of the information on the government website isn't always clear, um, not just for um, people abroad who are running businesses in the UK, but even for, you know, every every one of us. There's nobody, I don't think, could say, maybe apart from Simon, who is the Yoda of all payroll, um, who can look up the government website and think, well, that makes sense. There's so much of it. Um, that you read that you do need to go and talk to somebody about it and you know to make sure that your interpretation is correct so p45s are difficult to get hold of until recently whenever before they updated that new starter checklist when you look at some of um the questions that were being asked that weren't clear you know so there has to be an easier way of asking and technology and automation and making it more digital can only be an enhancement not only for businesses and employers but also for hmrc i would have thought samantha anything you'd like to add um, i suppose from my point of view i think paye you know we've, we've come a long way when it comes to digitalization i think if you compare it to other areas of tax we, you know, we operate real-time information. The the feed from HMR to and from HMRC, whilst it's not perfect, is much better than it was. Um, so P45s, for example, I I've seen a lot of examples where the P45 will come and you don't apply it because you've already received the updated tax code because you sent the starter checklist and you've received the information from HMRC. So I think you know making improvements on that i've no doubt there will be possibilities to make improvements but i think i think we are ahead of the times when you look at other tax regimes my nervousness around the sort of digital transformation piece is is linked to what lou was saying that accessibility of information i mean the whole the whole reason for for payroll question time is because people come to this because they probably can't find some of the answers elsewhere that those more complex, detailed, specific questions, it's very difficult to throw that into Google and get a, a response that you can be confident on. Um, so if we if we make things even more digital and you're less likely to call HMRC and you're going to be filling in a form, you know, how are you ever really going to find the, the right answer? That, that's my nervousness around it. I'd also like to... 
for those that are uh, thinking that chat, chat GPT is the solution of all problems, actually, if you put any kind of peril-related questions, I don't even work as a peril processor, but I know the results it gives you are pretty, pretty poor and very, very inaccurate. Um, so for those that think that, oh, it doesn't matter, we've got AI that can solve these issues in the, in the future, based on what I've seen from chat GPT, that may not be the case, which is why these kind of uh, a bit of forums where people can ask questions in real time and speak to people that are actually doing the job, I think, is so important. Um, sorry, Leo, I know you're going to make an additional comment. Because, I mean, what Sam said is correct. I mean, we, we have made leaps and bounds over the 30 years that I've been a payroll professional, you know, pulling out a Kalamazoo and doing the manual calculations. A comment back to maybe HMRC is that we might make our RTI submissions on time. Um, that information is not all, it does not always appear to be collated correctly. So it's not appearing on employers' dashboards. They can't interpret it. Whenever you're talking to people to try to get to the bottom of where the amounts have been allocated, I mean, what we discovered recently is that a, pay, a client had made their um, payments accurately and on time, but it was reallocated incorrectly. So then penalties started to be issued to the employer because that money had been allocated to the wrong month. So it appeared that December hadn't been paid. But yet we've managed to allocate all the months subsequently. So it's not just about the automation. It's about making sure that the automation is fit for purpose and that we're not just doing the automation to stay up to date and abreast of all the changes. But we need to make sure that what's in place is actually working. Sorry. Yeah, the dog agrees. The dog agrees. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's I've got a couple more questions that have popped in. Let's jump to our next poll. We've got 114 people hopefully to get involved in the next poll, which is another template to check. Uh, would your company support a four-day working week? We're not listening to you, Nick. We're looking at the dog. I know, I know. I don't blame you. I've, I've done the worst thing. I've introduced a poll just so you can't see any of us, including the dog. Maybe he'll be there when we come back. Um, what would your company support a four-day working week? Response options for those in audio only are we already do. Yes, it's on the cards. We are weighing up our options. No, and we probably won't anytime soon either. So we're waiting for those uh, responses. Uh, a couple of questions that have come in. One, I've done my best to answer directly, but I'll just ask the panel in case anything additional you'd like to add. Uh, really good post comes from Katie that says, good afternoon. It's my first webinar. It's very informative, so thank you. But as a newbie to the payroll world, what advice would you give to someone starting out in their payroll career? Any literature you'd recommend, courses? Uh, she also says, I love your podcast, Nick. So there you go. Well, you can also get a copy of this audio later on as well. All the PQTs are on the payroll podcast. So just to give the panel a bit of a head start, I've already responded uh, recommending the CIPP, recommending the Payroll Learn Center, uh, the Payroll Friendship Program, and um, the um, Payroll Org for global payroll-related information. Um, is there anywhere else you would recommend that she went to help give Katie a bit of a head start in her payroll career? Great to see someone so ambitious and keen to, to learn. Uh, maybe I'll start with your yourself, Sam. And it, to me, it's all about building that payroll community. You know, you will, you're probably, that's where you're going to find your answers to those more complex questions. Um, build that community, stay humble, you know, open to learn and open to um picking up new things but yeah use linkedin use sessions like this use all the networking sessions that have have already started now that would be my recommendation 
Great. Now, about yourself, Lou. Obviously, working as a board director at the CIPP as well, and Samantha's obviously also been at the CIPP. It's a, a brilliant uh, company for an organisation for supporting people on their payroll journeys. But anywhere else or any, any other literature you might want to recommend? I mean, what Sam has said, networking and getting to know other payroll professionals. I mean, I think there was um, some conversations last night on Facebook social media um, about somebody wanting to learn more and I mean there's nothing better than reaching out and asking somebody for a virtual coffee I mean it wouldn't be the first time if somebody's contacted me I'm happy um, as many payroll professionals are on having you know a 10-15 minute virtual coffee talking over and letting people see that they're not alone and that you know, there's help out there but I mean I do take on what you said Nick as well I mean to me being a member of CIPP, even the fact that I'm a board member, was always important because there's the advisory line that's able to help answer questions if you're a member. And that opportunity leads you to other networking events where you can meet up and build a network of people that you trust and that you know give you good information and that you're learning from them and seeing how they learn and develop. Absolutely right. And it's a really, really supportive community, the payroll community. I don't know if I've released an episode in the podcast today, which is actually taken live from the Payroll Congress in Denver. And it will give you a bit of an insight if you're new to the industry, just how supportive, how community led it is. I don't think there's any other industry quite like it. It's a very supportive, in my view, non-competitive group of people who are very, very happy to support and help the careers of others. So if you have any questions, do reach out. Obviously, I can also help you put in touch uh, put you in touch with people that might be able to support you in your journey as well. So do reach out if you need to. I uh, hope there's some good advice there. Networking, absolutely critical. I do also have a question that's come in. So I'll ask this as well. Comes from Beth. Quick question regarding P45s from previous tax year. Can I have your thoughts, please, on recording previous year taxable pay and tax in the current payroll system? The risk is, oh, my the risk is it could be recorded for current tax year. Also, is this even still a requirement? I was going to say that if it's in the previous year, I would never um, put it on the system. Um, and you can refer to the government website to see that it isn't relevant. It's about moving forward. I don't know how you feel, Simon. Uh, yeah, exactly the same. So last year, it doesn't really matter. Some systems will collect it because you're just entering the P45 form. But if the dates are right, it should just handle it. But you're right, some people might mistake it. Um, equally, uh, you've got to be careful with the use of the tax code. Use, the P9X used to tell you what to do. But nowadays, they refer you to an online tool to enter the details, and it'll tell you what tax code to apply instead. I'm not sure if that's overly helpful, especially if you've got thousands of them to do. But um, but that's what HMRC do these days. So no, you don't need it. It's not reported on the FPS. Even in year, it's not reported on the FPS uh, anymore. But you do need it in year. Otherwise, your cumulative tax position won't be right. Super. Right. Let's have a look at some of these poll results. How many of you are working with a four-day week? Hmm. We've got, for those in audio only, only 6% say we already do. 0% say it's on the cards. 23% say we're still weighing up our options. 71% say no and probably not any time soon. Uh, what are your thoughts on those results, Sam? I, I'm surprised that the no is so low. In fairness, I, I thought that that was going to be at about 90%. So like it, it, yeah. it's nice to see more people embracing it because I, yeah, 
I think there is definitely still a hesitation around around this. There was obviously um, the trial, and I believe it was quite successful. But you know, it's a big, big change to move from a five day to a four day standard week. And I think there's that assumption that well, if my business is operating at four days, but a business I'm working with is operating at five days, we're not going to have um, the people to support that. And and until those sort of minds start to change, I, I don't expect those results to, to move much more. But great to hear the people that are embracing it, because from a well-being perspective, I'm certain that's probably driving that agenda. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into that question now. We've got a whole topic about the four-day working week to dive into this in a little bit more detail. While waiting for that slide to come up, I've got a quick question that's come in, so I'll come to you, Simon, for here. Is the panel aware of any plans by HMRC to fix their PAYE variable direct debit so that funds are taken on the correct date and late fees are not applied due to them paying themselves late, even though the late fees are subsequently removed every month? I knew you'd laugh at that one. I'm sure they do have plans at some point when I've got absolutely no idea. And it's something I've taken up with um, uh, because uh, Richard George is normally on the panel and and Sam, did you used to be on uh, the, um, I forgot what they call themselves, EPG, yes. Uh, uh, The sorts of things we discussed there and also on what's called the rep body group. So it is being highlighted. The response at the moment from HMRC is it will sort of come out in the wash and be fixed. Uh, and you won't have the debt rather than mo- moving forward with the date yet. But you'd hope they would do soon because it's a new service and they're trying to encourage us to operate the DD. I'm always a bit suspicious of it myself because the DD is on a basis of your FPS and EPS return. So they're guessing what amount to deduct. I'm guessing. Maybe that's an unfair term. But what I'm, I guess I'm hinting at is the HMRC account for lots of you, I suspect, doesn't balance to your payroll. So uh, if you're small, uh, limited and not have much movement, it probably does. So the DD should be right, shouldn't it? If it's complex and big, I imagine you're actually your accounts are all in misbalance. Right. Fantastic. We are going to jump into this four day working week. The question still coming in thick and fast. I'm going to get through the first if we can. Uh, we have taken on a new company. All the employees are 2 p over. I thought I needed to enter the year to date and tax codes from the final pay from the previous provider, but the tax office said no. They need to complete a starter checklist. What is the correct thing to do? We will be using the same PAYE reference on the previous company. Uh, you need the year to dates, don't you? Brought forward as year to dates and uh, make sure the payroll IDs are correct. Did they go live in April? I mean, did they go live in April? Yeah. Or was it May? on the year. Sorry, do I miss the audio? That's again. I mean, is it go live in April or are they not going live until May or June? I haven't got any clarification here. Maybe if they can drop back in, we can uh, can come back. Because of anything after April, you all, as Simon said, you need the year to date. Otherwise, it has a real big impact throughout the year, but especially at year end, but it will impact employees throughout the year, especially what Simon's referenced to the employee IDs, because they are critical. I mean, they're so critical, they actually have um, a page on the government website that is quite, uh, it is very user friendly. It is very clear. I don't often say that, but it definitely is. 
Fine. Good. Hopefully that will help. I said go live first of July. So the definitely you can't operate without unit dates. You need that information and it must be on the payroll. They maybe just were unlucky on the day and who they spoke to at HMRC. Some novices maybe don't fully appreciate. And it's very difficult once you've set up a payroll and you haven't got the year to date, not all softwares can easily manipulate and be turned around to be able to have that information retrospectively input. Yeah. So and in this helps. case, Nick, in this case, Nick, I think the question is saying it's the same PAYE scheme. So they've not left anybody. It's a continuous employment. So there's no new start date and there's no end date. It's actually the same employer. So although the ownership of the business may have changed under under 2P, et cetera, uh, if the PAY scheme is the same, the employment hasn't ended and started. It's just continuing. Fantastic. I hope that helps. Let's jump into the four-day working week. Interestingly, a good friend of mine who is another recruitment owner owns a company called MRL uh, was one of the, the pioneers of the four-day working week in the UK. You may have seen him on many of the BBC documentaries. He seems to be featured every single time this, this topic comes up in certainly in my world anyway. Uh, but I'd love to find out uh, where we take here. Let's talk about employee pro productivity, staff retention, and of course, the most important thing in relation to the context of this webinar, the payroll processing impact. Bank holidays, there are going to be nine in 2023. Simon, if you can kick us off. Oh, it's a difficult one. I think this is all industry and job related question, isn't it, on four day week. Uh, for some jobs, um, it, it's similar with homeworking. For some jobs, homeworking works. For other jobs, if you're meant to be in front of a customer, how does homeworking in a, in a building, how does homeworking work? I guess if you can do remote calls and, and things like that, but if you're selling a bag of potatoes, uh, you can't really do that remotely in quite that same way, unless it's going in the post maybe, but then you can't test the quality. So there's there's obviously, there's, there's industries and jobs where you physically have to be on premise, and there are industries where you don't. And I think other other is on availability. I mean, a lot of the work that I've probably done historically, Nick, I don't have to be available five days a week to do it. I just need to get the job done. And in effect, I can do that at any point uh, so choosing. So your work time could work with that basis. So four day week, I guess if you're on schedules or, or patterns of work, so you've got coverage, uh, great, but it won't fit every industry, but it will fit some. I'll agree. I mean, so there's been a mix of reports in the world of recruitment, obviously, by operating. David Stone, the individual I mentioned earlier, has had great success with this. But there's also two types of four day working weeks. There are those that condense five days into four. And there are those in David's instance where actually he says four days is four days and you earn the same salary you would have earned over five. And I'm not expecting you to do any extra hours for that. Uh, but there are two, certainly in, in the world that I operated in recruitment, there are a lot of people trialing both types reducing five into four with longer hours, having a longer weekend, and also actually no, no requirements to additional hours, but just keeping the same salary on a four-day working week. Now, you can understand why that would have a big impact on both attraction and retention of staff, because wages aren't changing. There's no additional hours. You're getting paid the same. You get an extra day free a week. And the productivity in my industry in particular has been mixed in terms of the reports. Uh, very good for a, a retaining talent, but has the performance necessarily followed suit. I think that the jury's still out. Uh, but what's going to be the, the processing impact, though? That's the most important thing in context of, of this webinar. What are the, the payroll considerations we need to consider? I think from my point of view, if 
you know if, if I was to move sort of forward or something like a four day working week it would be on that um on a bit of a scheduling basis so you end up with still with a Monday to Friday operation but you you sort of splitting your resource across that based on four days I think the payroll that's likely to be the only way that it it would work different I suppose if you're in-house so if you're in-house and you can build your payroll cycle around a four-day working week then then it could be possible for everyone to have the Friday off but working in a bureau environment I think it would be difficult to service um all the clients to in without being open those five working days interesting how about yourself Lou? what's your view on this I suppose I mean I work in a business where we do have flexibility and um, we can take into account what people need or want but I think I'm mindful of running a team um, of individuals who all have separate client portfolios um, the clients are running a business a five-day week so they don't take into they would not take into consideration that their dedicated um, payroll contact would not be available and then I have to be mindful of what impact of somebody working a four-day week will have other team members who on that day would have to pick up the work that they're covering so I mean I am open to it I'm just looking at it from an operational um, perspective and mindful of the knock-on mental health effects it might have on other team members and how they juggle their work. And, you know, is it a particular day? Because then I'm thinking of the payroll schedules for each client. Every month is different. You know, payday, if it falls at the weekend, the work's brought forward. So you already are taking into account uh, an increased workload. And, I mean to me it would just be what simon said it would be dependent on the business but very much as we're client orientated we'd have to be mindful of the clients as well we can also tell that andy's dog's definitely in favor of four day week he's waiting for a walk there andy trying to pull you out <laughs> what's your view very good <laughs> i did uh, from my perspective interesting enough on the four day working week i'll be thinking about systems and thinking oh i used to divide my daily rate by 260 days near now it's oh it's 52 times four or oh, my qualifying days for ssp are, are they if i'm using working days are they now instead of monday to friday and i've got to change my working patterns and stuff so it's this there's a there's a payroll processing impact or could be do you still stick to five qualifying days or do you have seven qualifying days what's your ssp thing and if, if you you know tracking that and when you divide someone who's leaving partway through a month or starting partway through a month, you know, what, what method are you using, you know? It's all those sort of intricate, intricate little things, isn't there, as well? Simon's not anything you'd like to add to that, Simon. You've got bank holidays, 9-2023, an extra consideration here. So let's bring, let's bring that to the fore. Well, well, yeah, and that's partly of it on the four-day week is what happens to holiday entitlements and bank holidays if you're paying them in addition. Or instead of uh, so there are other implications but yes it's just a reminder uh, really that point that there are nine official bank holidays in uh, 2023 January to December I guess if you operate April to April next year there might be ten I'm trying to think when the new Good Friday falls so uh, because Easter floats between March and April you may have years that just don't balance up now, the statutory position, of course, is it's limited at 28 days, um, uh, eight in effect, 1.6 weeks to cover bank holidays. But if you're in a bank holiday year that only had seven, 
or six because of the way the calendars falls, they're still entitled to eight. Uh, so it's an element of looking at contract position. But I think I was just there to uh, think what happens. And if you're on bank holidays, we'll all work uh, uh, Mondays and Fridays to make sure we get those all off as bank holidays, won't we? Uh, we won't come in on Wednesday. And then observation. Sorry, Northern Ireland has 11 bank holidays. Yes. So that's nine in England, sorry. Yeah. You win, you win. <laughs> it's got a couple of questions that have come in as well. Uh, first from David, a four-day working week. It's worth remembering that not all businesses can operate a four-day week, which is what Simon was intimating at the start of this, uh, this topic. I represent a school uh, slash educational multi-establishment trust. And of course, the school week dictates how the working week operates. We do, however, have a flexible working policy and remote working possible for those that can be supported. Absolutely right. Not right for every sector, that's for sure. Uh, and then another comment comes in from Andy that says, comment on the four-day working week. We won't be doing it anytime soon, but we do have a couple of customers who have started doing this. One started testing during COVID, and it was so popular they made it permanent. Reduced from 39 hours over five days to 36 over four, but still on the same Support observation there. So we are seeing it happen more and more, that's for sure. It's definitely a newsworthy item. Um, but so still, I think the poll results 72% are not looking to do it anytime soon as we stand. Let's see how this sits. Uh, we we'll do PQT in May 2024 and see if this uh, this needle has moved at all. All right, let's move to our, our next subject then. We've got, still got a fair bit we're going to try and get through, but I'm conscious of time. Uh, this is related to the EU rulings and their impact on holiday pay. Adjustments to working time regulations, rolled up holiday pay, which is something we talk about quite a lot on PQT, uh, and the EU rights versus UK specifics. Uh, Simon, can you kick us off? Uh, sure. Just to um, confirm that there are proposals. So um, the government were intending on removing rafts of EU legislation and bringing in alternate UK. Some of that has been canned. But they have announced over these past few uh, weeks that uh, there are going to be proposals for combining the Regulation 13, 13A. 13 is EU law, four weeks in holiday pay entitlement, and 13A is an additional 1.6 United Kingdom entitlement, that they will combine that into a single 5.6 weeks. Uh, entitlement at some point. We don't know what the proposal is yet. We haven't seen it. It's just been announced that that's what they're going to do. The other aspect is they're actually proposing uh, um, potentials for introducing rolled up holiday pay, which is um, an interesting concept since they were outlawed by the European courts in 2006. I could probably tell you that I think that was the Robinson Steel v. RD Retail Services case of 2006 where rolled up holiday was outlawed although we do come across employers that still pay rolled up holiday uh, even today even though it was outlawed uh, all those years ago 17 or 27 years ago whatever it is uh, 17. Um, so there's the thoughts but uh, the the interesting aspect of combining that into a single UK is that lots of the rulings in case law were European based. So you've got, for example, Robinson Steel. Does that mean that that's going to get knocked out? We had the um, uh, uh, lock case and British gas, etc. Uh, what's going to happen with them? Because some of those rulings applied to the four weeks 
as a minimum. There wasn't a ruling on the 1.6 weeks. Now, Bayes or DBT or whatever they want to call themselves these days um, would say in their guidance you should consider paying it across the lot, but they equally say that uh, the rulings relate to uh, Regulation 13, not 13A. Well, if they're combined into a single regulation, uh, does that change the position on overtime commission, et cetera, et cetera, and the EU rulings? Do they get inherited into the UK or are they dropped and move aside? Um, the rolled up holiday one is interesting following the Brazil case uh, as um, uh, Brazil wasn't about rolled up holiday, but it was about um, the 12.07% usage uh, which some of the consultation was exploring. So uh, next uh, consultation has gone out saying, is that a method that should be considered? And I don't know if that relates to the rolled up and holiday announcement of two weeks ago, but I suspect it is. Is that good for a starter? Yeah, I think that's a full overview then. Yeah, <laughs> Comprehension. Sure. Any, any additional comments yeah. from you or Samantha or Andy you'd like to, to add in? There you go. That's hey. smart. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I suppose just to say from, from my point of view, I think we are we are desperate for simplification of the holiday pay rules. We really are. So if this can take us a step towards that, then I would I would back it. And I think rolled up holiday pay, part of the reason for it, it, it being um illegal is is because it's open to manipulation i think it you know and it is about employee rights but equally i think if it's used in the right way it does make sense if you've got a contractor who's coming in for six months and wants to deliver a project for six months do they need to to sit and work out the exact holiday times no they probably don't they probably just want that rolled up holiday pay same with zero hours. I'm a zero hours person, but I need to book off next week, despite the fact that I'm not due to work next week. It's, you know, it's such a strange concept. So I think some of these things, if we can, if we can be a bit more pragmatic about holiday pay, um, whilst keeping those protections in for employees, then then I would definitely support it. I mean, times a lot of it comes down to communication. I mean, roll-up holiday pay, one of the issues, of course, was it wasn't being communicated to temps and contractors by other recruiters. They were saying, how many rates is this within the inclusion of holiday pay? And they mm-hmm. get their pay and realise it's not on top. And that's due to the misinformation or the way it's been delivered. Certainly in my industry, it, it, it did cause problems for the companies that were doing that. So I understand why it was outlawed from the industry that I work in, because what someone thinks they're earning one thing and realises that they're not, because it was all rolled up. So as long as that communication piece is made, maybe that's where we make simplification easier, that it's a legal obligation to make this communicated in the right way. Um, I'd be in full agreement. It seems a bit strange otherwise. Um, there's another poll here. I'm conscious of time. I want to get the last poll out if we can. Uh, and this actually relates to uh, where you get your information from in relation to payroll process requirements. So uh, 97 of you still online watching us, which is fantastic. So this is the last poll of the day. Where do you tend to get your information on payroll process requirements? Um, five options for you here for those in audio only. Option one, government site um, forward slash updates directly, uh, CIPP or other payroll membership organization, social media or external blogs, colleagues or internal company guidance, or just PQT. Um, so if that is the only place, then great. Uh, but tick that box for us. Let's have a look at those poll results. Uh, this may also be of interest to the individual that posted in about how they can progress their career here. So some good opportunities perhaps to discuss 
where they get their information from. And in just a moment, we're going to um, talk about the importance of accurate, accurate payroll guidance. So um, this is why we're asking the question in advance, because there is a danger out there of getting misinformation. I mentioned earlier about the certainly the dangers of chat GPT. It's amazing for many, many things. In my personal experience to date, payroll is not one of them. Um, I've tried to test it with various different fonts, and most of the information is either drastically out of date, and that's, of course, because ChatGPT itself is only updated, I think it's September 21, um, and it's all up to date at the moment, but also because it just doesn't go into the detail. It also grabs its information from many, many sources, many of which will not be associated with the payroll profession like you good people are here today. Um, so that's just one example, but I think it's a, an important thing to raise. So we're waiting for those results to come in. Um, I wonder if the panel can perhaps just expand on that a little bit more, expand on where you think we should be getting our accurate payroll guidance from, uh, the benefits of getting it from the right places, and of course the dangers of getting it from the wrong places. Who would like to take us off? I'll start if you want, there's no problem. I've got plenty to say on this topic. I think right. um, my concern about where people get their information is from where I am from a social media perspective. I can see that there's many groups and people are very helpful with the information that they give, but there's no facts to back it up. It can very often be opinion and it mightn't be based on what the government website says it might contradict what the CIPP um, message is being shared and very much as well what the Learn Centre who have a membership line that you can be part of. Um, I think you have to be very careful with um, who you trust and who you build a relationship up on payroll information and knowledge because we do not know everything. Before the call I said to Sam today, what every day is a learning day and every day this week I have learned something that I didn't know or understand ever before and it always surprises me in payroll how much there is. It's the impact of getting that information and that knowledge share on. Very often I say to teams when I pull them together, um, for example pension. Pension is so underrated. If you get a pension wrong today, in 40 years time when that person retires they will feel the result of not getting that pension set up correctly and very often on some of these forums it can come it can become quite toxic and it comes back to is there evidence to back up what you have had shared i always would say to somebody can you show me where to find this on the gov website is there you know simon has his own blog that is so super helpful and useful to refer to, to get an idea of where to start looking so that you're building up a knowledge and background on facts, not just a story. Because very often you hear in payroll, it's always been done that way. But why was it done that way? And about understanding that. Yeah, and that's where PQT can really help in terms of the nuances of why things are done certain ways. And you know, we know the reason we have this PQT is because payroll is complex and it needs experts to help you understand it. Um, let's have a look at some of these uh, these results, and I'll ask for perhaps Simon your commentary on the, the the poll results as they come in, and we'll tackle the subjects in a little bit more detail. So for those in audio only mode, the results we've got here are 71% get their information from government sites or updates directly, 20% from the CIPP or other membership organisations. 5% from social media, 3% from colleagues, 
and 2% from PQT, which is absolutely fine. So, Simon, what are your thoughts on those results? And perhaps if we can just get back to the, uh, the slide, that'd be great. Yeah, they're interesting, aren't they, uh, Nick? So I think that's uh, that's good. But we're from an experienced uh, audience, I think, here. And so it's good to see that we are going to the government sites. I've got to say they're not the easiest to navigate at times and going to the CIPP uh, because you've got experts that feed into that sort of information. I guess the uh, Lou and I are probably on similar social media outlets and we see some of the interaction that takes place. I suspect that uh, they're mainly smaller employers, but not always. But we see a lot of um, misadvice. Is that right? I mean, it's myth. Um, uh, uh, what I think it should be rather than what it really is. And I think even, even to the uh, person who was asking about training, sometimes it's good to go in and fresh mind. If you're new, it's good to read official stuff if you can. CWG2 is a good um, guide to look at. It may be confusing and test it, but sometimes our old bias and traditions uh, distort our view of reality. And, and so, yeah, very interesting statistics there. Uh, fantastic for the 2% they get from PQT. I suspect that you uh, should probably look a little bit at somewhere else as well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I've just added as well, I'll, I'll do some championing for you here, Simon. You've obviously got a fantastic site with the latest peril information as well called payadvice.uk. So I put the link there in the, the chat for those that want to follow. Uh, hopefully, uh, those that join PQT will know that Simon's a bit of a payroll oracle. Uh, so that's something that somewhere that even myself and, and our team will go to for advice, as well as the other resources we've discussed. So do have a look at that again in a moment. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Sam? I think just to echo Simon and Lou, really, you know, it is, it's really important, regardless of where you go, if you go to a colleague, if you go to um, even to the CIPP, get, get that back up with, with the legislation, with the government websites, because that, that that's your source then, that's your audit trail for where the answer is from. It, you know, you might be talking to a colleague who, who, who knows exactly what they're talking about, but it will only help you if you can get them to direct you to the, the, the source of that information. Um, but equally, I suppose, you know, payroll isn't all about that compliance piece. There are other sides. So talking to colleagues about ways of working, managing teams, what they're doing for recruitment, systems, that's your community is always a good place to go just to get some ideas. But I think that misinformation piece, particularly around some sites on, on Facebook, I would say, are, um, yeah, I've seen some, some interesting comments on there, to say the very least, so be aware of them. Yeah, for sure. How about yourself, Andy? Um, yeah, I agree. Go, go to the... Um the source of information best. I was only looking earlier at a webinar that someone had produced on automatic enrollment and I'm thinking, no, that's not that's not right. That bit's not right. So I'm gonna go back to this person. I won't give any indicators. it's not it's not a payroll person, um, but it is a, a, a legal firm and just say uh, it's almost right but not quite right. And that's that's where the risk can be where <clears throat> If you follow exactly what was said, you, you'd get it wrong. But but the gist is right. But the the, the detail can be wrong. So, um, but also things like going to conferences, 
you know you know the payroll conference or the various there's lot did look quite good they're good because you get the networking as well as normally get the expert speaker speaking and then they're normally available at the end either for Q&A or to go and ask personal questions off and and that's good you want to get the source really and and the groups that people attend the EPG and all these things that's really helpful because that gives advance notice of things relative feedback it also means that the experts you're talking to are keeping up to date themselves of all the changes coming in so like with like Simon and the blog and all those sort of things I think they're just really good you know but yeah GRPP and all the rest of it. Andy we've got a very short amount of time is there any specific or important pensions updates we need to be aware of to make sure our, our audience today are fully up to date over the course of the next month you'd like just to, to raise awareness to? No, no, no immediate changes as such. Still waiting to hear about lifetime allowance, annual allowance, and what the impact of those becoming the annual allowance going from forty to sixty thousand. Um, that's the amount you can put into a pension scheme in a year, and um, the lifetime allowance, the one point one odd million pounds worth, which has been removed. So we're just waiting to find out what the full details are because of the exceptions. If someone's got has got lifetime allowance, got enhanced fixed protection for pension savings, then they can do not have to be enrolled or re-enrolled. Those sort of things. So next PQT, hopefully. Next PQT, we'll have a more detailed so, pension update. And also hopefully have an update on, I don't know, unless Simon knows. I don't you've heard anything yet, anyone on the panel about the net pay arrangement? paying the tax relief that people are missing because that was 24-25 to be processed 26-27 possibly later because IT systems need to be developed in HMRC. I've, that's all gone silent from my perspective. I just have it on my radar for the future but um, probably not one for now but for our next PQT unless someone's got a thought on it. Okay that's cool. We'll watch this space for our next PQT. Two subjects there we'll definitely be tackling so please do sign up again. Uh, registrations will be open very soon at sdworks.co.uk forward slash PQT. Huge thank you to everyone that's still with us at the moment for putting all of your questions to the panel. Just had a comment from Angela saying absolutely amazing PQT, so interesting, so informative, so thank you. Someone Cheryl's come in to say thank you, I've been in Pell for many years but this has been extremely valuable lots and lots of positive comments thank you ever so much for all of you attendees that joined us today on may's pkt please join us again on the 30th of june and of course for myself lou simon sam and andy a huge thank you to all of you uh, we love bringing the show to to our attendees so i hope you've enjoyed it today and i look forward to bringing it back to you all again in june thank you our panel and thank you everybody else we'll see you soon bye, bye. That's all for this episode of the Payroll Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and gained valuable insights and inspiration to advance your payroll career or your payroll operation. If you haven't already, please, please do subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And if you found this podcast helpful, please take a moment to leave us a little review on your preferred podcast platform. It's your feedback that really helps me to improve the show and of course attract new listeners so we can continue to raise the profile of the payroll industry for all. Finally, if you know anyone who could benefit from this payroll podcast, please do share it with them. Let's spread the word and build a vibrant community of payroll professionals worldwide. Thank you, of course, for listening. My name is Nick Day. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. In the meantime, I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of the Payroll Podcast real soon.